My name is Pierre, and I've got the privilege of sharing the word with you this morning. And we're starting a brand new series uh, where we're going to walk through the story of Nehemiah in the Bible. For the next seven weeks, we're going to spend time studying this together. Now, let me just give a little bit of a tease and see supply. At the beginning of this, this, uh, this morning, it's impossible for us to preach through the entire book in its fullness over seven weeks. It's just not possible. And um, I want to invite you on this journey that you take some time personally to go and read the book of Nehemiah. Um, I also want to invite you that you take some time personally to read the book right before it, the book of Ezra, because traditionally these two books used to be one and the same. Uh, it's a timeline over 60 to 70 years, three stories of three leaders that God has sent to the restoration of uh, Jerusalem and the people of Israel after Babylon. But in our modern Bibles, these two were separated. So if you really want to get the full benefit, I want to encourage you this morning that you read the Word yourself, that you spend time in your personal walk with Jesus, take up in the mornings and read the Word. Read it together as a family, read it in your personal walk, and don't just read Nehemiah, but read the book of Ezra right before it to get the full benefit. And I'll share with us a little bit more about how these work together in a minute. Our goal this morning is to really set up this series and I hopefully get us to a place where we have an expectation that through the message and the story of Nehemiah, God wants to do something incredible in our personal lives and in our corporate expression as a church. We've decided to call this, uh, this the byline of this series for the city, a passion for the city, seeking the welfare of the city establishing the city of God amongst us as his people. And then from here and from the life that we live with Christ in the center, we go to our city of Halderberg and beyond and we take the welfare of God that he has for his people into the world. What I love about this story of Nehemiah, it's hope-filled. It's so many prophecies being fulfilled that God has spoken to his people after you have been in captivity and in exile and under the Babylonian rule I'm gonna give you a hope and a future and you're gonna see restored the city of God, the temple of God, and the people of God. Nehemiah is about rebuilding and isn't that what God is doing in our lives all the time? He builds us up, we meet Jesus, he starts rebuilding us, we walk with him, sometimes we trip and we fail and then he says, you know what, my son, my daughter, let me just rebuild that part of you again. He's constantly busy building us up so we can be a house Ephesians says, where the Spirit of God longs to dwell. It's about restoration, the cross, the message of Jesus. All that we are about as a church is about restoring ourselves back to the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a book on reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, to be reconciled back to the original plan that God has for us, His people. It's a book about reformation where he reforms our hearts time and time again to become more like Jesus. So there's so many things in this book that we get to look at over the next few weeks. What I love about this book, it moves from the individual to the community. It starts with one man, Nehemiah, who has an encounter with God, and we're gonna look at that this morning, but then he quickly moves it into the hands of the community. And that's my prayer that this message wouldn't be like, yes, the preachers gave us a good, strong word and I like the way they look at it, but that we would all be moved by this message unto reconciliation, reformation, restoration, and rebuilding. 
that we'll see God move through us in this church and in our community in a powerful way. Now I want to give us a bit of context before we read together. As I said, we're going to read the word a lot over the next few weeks. You're going to read it in your life group, so we're going to do a lot of reading here in church. But in order for us to start in chapter one this morning, just a quick look at what has happened to this point with the nation of Israel. As I already said, they were in exile under the Babylonian rulership, enslaved in that environment. And then God used the Babylonian kings to start sending them back to their city, Jerusalem, and to their country. And it started in the first few chapters of the book of Ezra. The first man that God appoints is called Zerubbabel. God appoints through a king, a Babylonian king, Zerubbabel, to go back and rebuild the temple. And some of the exiles are taken back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple. And then next in line, we see Ezra, who's then sent again by a Persian king to go and rebuild the community and rebuild an esteem for the Torah, which was the law of God, that they would live again according to the ordinances and the plans of God. And in third in line is Nehemiah, the third guy to be sent by a Persian king back to Jerusalem to restore the city walls. And it's amazing to see that God used the ungodly for his purposes. He used these kings who were against the God of Israel for the purposes of Israel. And I've got faith that God still does the same today, that he does the same in our communities, that even we live in a world where things are crazy and democratic, and sometimes we feel, how is it even possible? And that sometimes and many times there's people in, in rulership and in reign which lives ungodly lives and takes a whole nation down to the dumps, but there's a God that twists and turns that for his purposes. That's why God says, pray for your leaders. Pray for them. Don't despise them. Don't hate them. Don't, don't curse them, but pray for them. And here we see how three Babylonian kings send three God, men of God back to their city for the restoration of it. It's almost like there's a constant pursuit from God to say, guys, let's go and restore what was originally meant to be my place of dwelling here on earth. God is saying, you know, I'll send the first guy and then quickly on his, on his uh, hacker, I don't know what the English is for that, quickly on his heels, the second guy. And it was 60 years later and then Nehemiah comes after Ezra or with Ezra and does the last part of the rebuilding. And ultimately, when you study this book and you see the last chapter, it's all about God's desire to captivate his people's heart again. To get to that place where they're like, we are the people of God. This is the city of God. The temple is where God chooses to dwell in his presence. That's how it was back then. But now we live in the new covenant, the new testament. And how much more glorious then that God says, I want to build my church. I want to establish my city amongst my people to such a place that I've got their hearts captivated. And my presence longs to dwell there. And this is what the book of Nehemiah is all about. So let's read together. We're going to read chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a few verses in chapter 2 that we're going to skip. That's Ricky's job next week to take us through Nehemiah's prayer. But let's read together starting of verse 1. And the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakiliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came a certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, 
The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's move to chapter two. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And as I said to the king, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this, he displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I had a few men with me and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I wrote. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and expected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then... I say to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its, with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant of Geshem the Arab heard of this. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim 
in Jerusalem. God, I pray that this story would come alive to us today, that we would find the context in our lives, that we would find the context in this church and into our community. I pray that you will captivate every heart with this message of reformation, restoration, reconciliation, and rebuilding, Lord, so that we can truly say that the hand of God is upon us and we will rise up and build and we are a people for this city. Lord, may you anoint your word and may you be the preacher that brings the message to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, there's a lot in there. I love the part how this king has the queen sitting next to him, but he gets to speak. That's a little joke. (laughs) All the men are nervously laughing. We're gonna call this morning simply for the city. It's the line of of our series that we wanna have a heart for the city And what does that city entail? Well, yes, the city of Halderberg where God has placed us. And I wanna remind you that you are here for a purpose. You are here for such a time of this. This is a season for you to live here, to be in this community, to live a life for the welfare of the city. And in the same breath, it's about being the city of God. For the city means that we will seek the welfare of the people around us. Now, how is the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls in any way applicable to us today. And I want to take us quickly to a verse in Romans 15 verse four. It says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's the very reason we preach this book It's there for our example to teach us how the principles of God and the thoughts and the heart of God towards his people looks like. And I love that last few words in this verse. The purpose of preaching through this is that we might have hope, that God is busy building, that he is setting up men and women to lead and amongst them other men and women and a community say we will rise up and build and establish the purposes of God in our community. It's important to note that there are two parallels in this story. Nehemiah is almost like a type of Christ who moves out of the comfort and the environment of the palace to a broken down community to bring restoration. He said that he was the cup bearer of the king and there's even some similarities to Jesus having to drink the cup of God's wrath so that it be satisfied and we could be set free. See all these similarities, we're gonna find some more, but he was a type of Christ that showed the Father's heart of restoring and sending a leader, sending a hero who would step into a community and say, you know what, this can look different. And it changes the course of history. And then Jesus gives us that same command. He's now you Go into all the world and make disciples. You are now the light of the world. And I believe Nehemiah and the study of this book will also be a recommissioning of understanding how we, like Nehemiah, like Christ, go into our communities and we establish the purposes of God. So there's two parallels here. First of all, we the church, his temple, his dwelling place, are being built up as the city of God. But we're also a city within a city. The New Testament speaks all about we being living stones, being built up as the house of God. We are the temple of his Holy Spirit. That's us, his church, his followers. But then in the same breath, we are also a city within the city. We exist here in the Helderberg, in this community, 
to seek the welfare of this city. It's one of the saddest things when a church only lives for itself, when the city of God only exists for the city of God. And we're gonna see in this book later on when the walls was restored, how the nations saw it as a witness of the God of Israel. What would it look like if we be the church that God really intended for us to be in this community? Will they look to the church and say, wow, that is amazing. Those people are the city of God where his presence dwells, where his power moves from, where there's peace, where there's joy, where there's prosperity, where there's life. That's the aim of this series, to remind us as a church what we're about here, but to get us as a church to move out of here into our community and take this kingdom values of being a city amongst the city into the natural city that we find ourselves in. I love Nehemiah's progression. He makes a quality decision. And we're gonna go through how he made that quality decision in a moment. But Nehemiah moves from being a simple cup bearer for a king to a supernatural vision bearer of the king. That's the progression. He simply used what was in his hands and he served with it wholeheartedly. But in his heart, he was arrested by a purpose of God. God arrested him with a burden and a vision far greater than pouring wine for a king. He had quite an important job. He had to taste that wine, make sure it tastes like something out of Somerset West. But in the same breath, it was to make sure that there was no poison in it. Every time he tasted it, he put his life online because someone might have poisoned the wine of the king to get to the king. But it didn't end there for them. Although he faithfully served and there was a moment between the burden of God and the vision of God and when he actually had the ability to say, but this is in my heart where he was faithful with what was in his hands and eventually God said, okay, now it's time to be faithful with what is in your heart and that's the call of God over your life. And I wanna say this prophetically. For many of you, you're sometimes in between these two. Lord, there's there's so much here, but I'm only doing this. Remain faithful with what God has put in your hands until such a time that he releases what's in your heart to be in your hands. That's how we build right. That's how we build on God's time. Don't get upset that by what's in here isn't in your hands yet. It's important that we see that. The moment he felt that vision, he had to walk it out until the moment that the king said, Nehemiah was wrong. And then he was fearful and like, is this the moment? And he said, God, May this be the moment. And he says, King, I want to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And then the favor of God followed. Let's not get confused between these two concepts. That God has given us things to do with our hands. Let's do them faithfully. And at the same time, he arrested our hearts. And I believe there's going to be a collision for all of us at the right time where these worlds come together and we can build the city of God in this earth. So how did he move in this progression from being a cup bearer to the king to becoming a supernatural vision bearer of the King of Kings. And there's four things out of our verses this morning that I wanna bring to your attention. The very first thing is that Nehemiah carried a God burden. And this is important. He said, as soon as I heard this news, I sat down and I wept. Now, don't think that Nehemiah wept because he was imagining the broken walls. I think he wept because the broken walls was just a way of saying that the people of Israel are broken. And in that moment, God gives him a burden for brokenness. God touches him on the inside and he feels the brokenness of the people of God and he's just like, 
Lord, this is hard. So much so that he cries, that he's on his knees, and it's just a little tear like in the worship, and yes, Jesus, there's more for us to do. He was completely broken before God. I once had an experience like that the beginning of last year during our prayer and fasting week, and I've had previous experiences like that too, but this was my latest, most intense one. Helena had to go to Kalidon to her parents for a night or two. I was all by myself in the house, spending time with God, very hungry. All the temptations of the fridge are there. She wouldn't know because she's not there to look and see if I'm fasting or not. And I was in my room and I listened to a prophetic word that was given to me the year before. And in a moment, all I could hear was the word Europe. And God constrained my heart so much so that I think for half an hour, I cried and sobbed like a baby. It was ugly cry. You didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. Didn't feel great. But God constrained my heart with a burden for Europe. Now, I didn't jump up and say, okay, let's go. Backs pack, let's run to Europe. Then you start walking out. God, there's an arresting of my heart. You've put the burden there. I'll faithfully serve. And at the right time, you'll open up the doors to go and reach into Europe. We see this in the life of Jesus. He looked at the people and he said, he say, these people are harassed. They're broken. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And then it said that Jesus was moved with compassion. And we've got to start there and say, God, have you given me a God burden for the city of God, for the church? Do you see the beauty of it? to see it restored, to see people who dwell together in unity, who love one another regardless of their differences. Lord, but not just the church. Have you given me a burden and us as a church, a burden for this city? Do we walk around the streets of Somerset West and Strand and Gordons Bay and see the brokenness of people? And does it move us to a place that we are so burdened for them that we weep, that we go into the presence of God and say, God, you've got to help us to build right You've got to help us restore and reconcile people on to you. There are broken walls of marriages, families, poverty, sexual immorality, disparity, regret, loss, pain, and suffering in this community that we live in. And the question is, do we allow God to come and burden us with it? What I love about Nehemiah is he didn't just carry the burden, he then went and inspected See, some of us might feel the burden, but we're like, whew, this is not all heavy. And then we just kind of move on and we look the other way. Nehemiah was intentional. He said, okay, God, there's a burden. I want to go see how bad it is. And he got close to it and he expected it. Like, wow, this is broken. This is broken. I believe that is what he calls the church to. To get so close to our community and to people's lives. They were like, God, we burdened, but we want to see how bad it is so that we know how we can take the message of Jesus and see restoration come. We shouldn't just be a people who are burdened. We should be a, be a people who are burdened, but then go and have a closer look. And I want to pause there for a moment. This is what Jesus does with us every single time. He comes to us and he takes a closer look at our lives. And he might say, you know what, there's a part of the wall of your life that's broken but then Jesus comes ready with the answer as well. He says, just come back to me. Let me restore that. You might be here this morning and you might say, well, it's great to talk about what we need to do in building the city, but I'm a broken vessel. I'm a broken city on the inside. I wanna remind you that the cross of Calvary 
is Jesus saying, hey, I'm coming close to you. And I see that brokenness, but I've got vision that I can see this restored. Maybe for some of us, that's where we start this morning, saying, Jesus, I accept you. Step into my life and come and fix all the broken gates and gaping holes inside of me. Nehemiah carried that heart. He went and he said, what's broken? And then let's fix it. The second thing is not just a God burden, but a God vision. The words that Nehemiah used is what my God had put into my heart to do. You see, a burden without a vision paralyzes. But a burden with a vision mobilizes. If we're just burdened by the pain of society or burdened by the brokenness of people and there's no vision, we'll be paralyzed. Then we'll sit back and like, oh, this is so hard. But Nehemiah, by the leading of God's spirit, had both the burden and the vision. And it's when the burden and the vision comes together that there's a mobilization, that we move into action. So I wanna invite you this morning and say, if you are burdened for anything in our community, don't let it just be a burden because then you're gonna act out of guilt. You're gonna act out of your own plans and own ideas. Take that burden to God and say, God, now give me a vision with this burden. Some of you might be burdened for orphan children and you've been paralyzed by it. Take time in this series and with your community in your life group to talk through and say, I don't just wanna feel the burden, I wanna really do something. Fast and pray like Nehemiah did. I don't wanna steal Ricky's message from next week. But see God until such a time that he gives you a vision for the burden that is placed within you. We can't let it terminate at the burden. We've got to let it move into a vision. When was the last time you asked God, Lord, what can I do with all the burdens in the world? What can I do with the burden for Europe and the nations? What can I do with the burden of our own community? And I love that so many people in this church have said yes, that last year we've sent so many missions that we've got Mama Tembas from this church and Temba training and Temba Licha and other expressions of loving people out of a burden with vision, we see action and fruit. And maybe some of us need to stop over the next seven weeks and say, God, give me a vision for the burden that I see in my community. When I see that individual in their pain, how can I help them? Helena and I went running on Friday morning. It's our day of and on Friday mornings, we go down to the beach for a run and a coffee afterwards. And we were at the end of our run, and it was ugly. It was Gordon's Bay, the hills. We didn't look great. We didn't smell good. And we had quite an interesting moment. So we there, literally just finished the run. It's sweaty. It's not nice. We just ugh, want to get home and catch a shower, be done with it. And Elena sees a lady walking on the beach, and she's in incredible pain. I didn't notice it, but Elena said, yes, that lady is in pain. She can see it. The burden. And there was maybe a moment or two that passed, maybe two minutes. We just noticed it and move on. And then God stood in us a vision. He said, let's go pray for her. This is quite funny. So this lady is way down the beach and she's walking quite difficultly. And Elena and I now need to catch up. So we've just done our 5K run. It doesn't look good. We're sweaty, we're smelly. We're out of, and here we start running behind this lady. And Elena starts calling. She says, excuse me, excuse me. And the lady turns around. She sees Elena running towards her. And the next moment she sees me running towards her. She's like, <laughs> starts walking faster in the opposite direction. She's like, who are these crazy white people chasing me down? What do they want to say to me? And Elena's like, leave me. 
get out of the way. She's scared of you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Because it does look a little bit weird. We're chasing her down on the beach. And the next moment I get out of there, I'm like, okay, catch my breath. And Elena runs. She says, excuse me, sister. And then she turns around and she looks at Elena and says, sorry, I promise you I'm not a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> and I, I, it was quite, quite a moment because I have never seen a Jehovah Witness chase anyone down. But Elena's like, I'm not a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> and eventually... I caught up, and she said, it's my husband, and the lady, oh, okay, it's the husband, it's not two crazy people chasing me down, and we just said, you know, we burdened for you, but God gave us a vision to come and pray with you, you've got pain, and she told us the whole story of how she was fractured, and how the doctors have not done a good job, and because of that, she's in constant pain, and we ministered to her, and she was quite apprehensive, first of all, because she's late for work. And we said, no, don't worry, we'll get our car, we'll put you in the car, we'll take you to work so that you're not late, but we want to take a moment. And she was completely undone by the faithfulness of God. We've got to put vision to our burden because that's what moves us and mobilizes us to action. Don't just be burdened. Say, God, give me a vision for the pains that I see around me. And then where there's vision, there's God's provision. And that's the next thing. There's a God burden, a God vision, and where God burden and a God vision comes together, I promise you God will provide. Because it's from him. He gave it to us, and then he provides. And it's stunning to see what happened to Nehemiah. It says, and the king granted me what I asked. He said, king, you know what? I want to go and build or rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then the king said, okay. And here's, an, here's a, a, just a little nugget on the side. Nehemiah was very calculated about it. He worked it out already. Some of us are carrying visions, but we haven't done the effort to work out what it would look like. Because when the king asked him, how long is it gonna take you? He had an answer ready. So some of you are missing out on the fulfillment of your vision. He's like, I wanna be an evangelist who just does evangelism all the time. Okay, great, but how are you gonna eat? Where are you gonna live? How are you gonna do it practically? Have you worked it out? God is in the business of order and planning as well. So important, just on the side. But then he says, King, now that you've said yes, can I get some of your wood? And God uses a Babylonian king to supply for the advancing of his kingdom. And I believe we're gonna see a season of more of that. It's in the Bible, prophecies that God will turn the money of the world towards his kingdom. And I'm ready for that because I believe God wants to do so much more for his church. And then the king said, yes, you may have some of the wood. And then the king, by his own decision, sent a whole army with Nehemiah. Isn't that amazing? You see, when God gives us a burden and a vision, the provision will come as well. Are we calculated? Have we spent time to write it down, to pray over it, to fast? All these things happened before there was a release. When a God burden meets a God vision, there's a God provision. And sadly for many of us, this trips us up because we just don't believe that God will provide. And then lastly, there was a God response when the vision was shared. All these people saw, just imagine for a moment, the people were in the city and they saw this Babylonian army come towards them. All the, the horsemen and the knights that went with Nehemiah. I imagine for a moment that they might have been fearful again. It's like, are they taking us back? Are we going back there? And the next moment they see a man of God, 
one of their own leading the charge. So it wasn't that Nehemiah just shared the vision and they all said yes. They saw the fruit of what God was busy doing. And then Nehemiah took it upon himself with only a few trusted men and he walked the whole city. He inspected it at night so that people wouldn't see him. And then there's that beautiful moment where he calls them all together and says, God has placed a vision in my heart. You can clearly see that he is already providing for it. Can we rebuild the city? And then it said, and all the people said, let's rise up and build. And they strengthened their hands for the good work. Isn't that powerful? When there's a burden, marriage to a vision, supported by God's provision, we see a God response where the whole community says, yes, let's get behind this. And I truly believe that we are in a faithful season of God's work in this house where we can see you say, yes, let's get behind this. We have strengthened our hands for the good work, but it goes beyond these four walls. It goes into our community. We're like, you know what? Sure, if we take every sermon we get here, on a Sunday and just apply it, the city around us will look vastly different. If we take out just one moment of evangelism and do it every single day, the city around us will look completely different. And that's where this message really comes and challenges us and address us. Have we given a God response to his burden and his vision and his provision? Have you thought about your walk with Jesus and said, I wanna be one that lives for the city? Yes, for the city of God, the church, but for the city of Halderberg where he has placed me. These two things running the whole time at the same time. A healthy church gets everyone involved and everyone ministers. Nehemiah might've led the people to, into the building but he was building on his part of the wall and it was a big wall and there were other sides of the wall that he just didn't get involved in because all the people said, all of us are gonna rise up and build and that's what last week was all about at Stuart, Stewardship Sunday. Let us rise up together and build the house of God into the city. And I wanna end with those words. Let us rise up and build. And I wanna ask you, if that's your conviction this morning, not to please peer or the leadership of this church or to look all good and say, yeah, you know what, now I'll serve because they expect it of me. If God comes by the move of his spirit in us and say, you know what, I want you to be burdened for people and I want you to put a vision to that and I'll provide for it. Do we then say, God, I'm gonna rise up and build with my community into this community. And if that's you this morning, I want us to boldly rise up and say, we're gonna build.